over in Nehemiah 2, and the subject is daring faith. Um, Hudson Taylor uh, was born on the 21st of May, so next weekend uh, will be the, the anniversary of his birth in 1832 in England. At the age of 17, he was dramatically converted uh, through the prayers of his mother. There's encouragement uh, to, keep, to keep on praying uh, for family members. He started some basic medical studies and sailed for China with the Chinese Evangelistic Society at the age of 21. He didn't have any real training in theology or missions, and after a five-and-a-half-month journey, he landed in Shanghai. Uh, he learned the language quickly, and in his first two years in China, engaged on ten, ten extended missionary trips, uh, preaching uh, the gospel out into the countryside. Uh, he got married in uh, 1858 uh, to another missionary, and then two years later, he was returning uh, to England, he was seriously ill, and he was uh, four years in England, and his burden for China and its vast, vast teeming population grew and grew. And in 1865, on Brighton Beach, he wrote this uh, account in his journal. He said, on Sunday, June the 25th, 1865, Unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony. And there the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for His service. Uh, and then he, he, he goes on to speak about uh, how he, he realized that God would supply all his needs. And then he says, There and then I asked him for 24 fellow workers. It's a great prayer um, of faith. 24 fellow workers. Two, and he had thought this out. Remember Nehemiah, how he, he prayed and he had thought things out. But Hudson Taylor, the same. Two for each of the 11 inland provinces that were without a missionary, and two for Mongolia. Uh, and he wrote the petition in the margin of his Bible and returned home with a heart enjoying rest, such as I had been a stranger to for months. Uh, he's 33 years old. This is the start of the China uh, inland mission. And the missionaries were to have no guaranteed salaries, uh, they were to adopt Chinese dress. They were to take the gospel into the interior. It was going to be bold and daring and courageous. And the following year, they set sail uh, with the largest group of missionaries that had ever sailed to China, 16 in addition to themselves. Later on, uh, his, 1870, five years later, his son Samuel died in January, his, in July, his wife, Maria, gave birth to a son who died two weeks later. And on top of it all, his wife died uh, a few weeks after that in July. And Hudson Taylor was 38. Uh, 
In his lifetime, he made 10 uh, voyages to China, which means he spent somewhere in the region of about uh, five years of his life on a boat, just traveling uh, to China. Um, by the time he was, um, well, he, by, by, 18, or by 1900, he lived to see the, uh, the Boxer Rebellion and uh, the China Inland Mission lost more members than any other mission agency. 58 adults and 21 children were killed. But by the time of his death, they had 825 missionaries living in all 18 provinces of China. They had more than 300 mission stations, more than 500 local Chinese helpers, and 25,000 Christian converts. There's a man who had daring faith, who prayed big and who, who sought to use the life that God had given him. And that's what we want to think about this evening. We've looked at Nehemiah. We've seen his passion for God's glory. We've seen his weeping over the state of God's people. And we've been challenged to, to have his concern for God's glory. We want to think this evening about having his sort of faith, daring faith. We know up here that God can do great things. That's not in question. But our faith that God will do big things, our expectation, that's maybe in question. Do, do we believe that God can? Do we believe that God can transform our village, that God can build and fill our new church building? Do we believe God can transform, let's go smaller, members in our families? Do we expect Him to? What about our county? What about our nation? You know, Hudson Taylor and his work has brought about in the space of about 100, 150 years, 200 years, the, the transformation of China. They talk about there being 100 million Christians in China. You know, that's incredible. Um, because of men like Hudson Taylor uh, and, and others. One of the things that struck me as I've been reading Nehemiah and as we've been studying it in the Bible studies and I've been studying it in our own, my own devotions, I've just been really challenged that I'm just ticking over in the Christian life. I've been really struck by Nehemiah's uh, faith and his drive. Um, he's an example of not accepting the way things are. Um, he, he doesn't allow the way things are and the way things have been for 140 years to put them off. 140 years, where would that take us back to? 1870. Things had been doing nothing for 140 years. That's the equivalent of things being desolate here in Milford since 1870. 
And here we would come saying, no, we're going to believe that God is going to do something majestic and glorious. What are you talking about? That's the equivalent. Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem 140 years after its destruction and it's in ruins and he is looking to God to do great things. He doesn't let time put him off. He doesn't let distance put him off. He's a thousand miles away. He doesn't let the fact that there's already people there and there's already good men there sort of hold him back. He sees the importance of the job and he's prepared, even though it's going to be risky for him. He could have said, well, we'll let others do it. But no, he sees others aren't doing it. So he says, I'm going to put myself forward. And he doesn't allow the fact that the king that he serves, in Ezra, 20, Ezra 4, 21, that same king had told the Jews to stop doing any work in Jerusalem. Stop it. He doesn't allow that to put him off. He doesn't allow the fact that the people are discouraged and low ebb to put him off. He doesn't allow the fact that there's trouble in the empire away over near Jerusalem, Egypt to the south of Jerusalem and Syria to the north of Jerusalem are uh, in revolt. They're um, sort of becoming troubled against the rule of the Persian Empire. But he doesn't allow that uh, to put him off. And here's this great challenge. And we want to do two things. We want to see the challenge and we want to see the encouragement because the church in Ireland, well, it's not flourishing. We could say it's broken down. Um, although I was talking to a church historian and I asked him, when was the high point of the church in Ireland? When was the high point of Christianity in Ireland? And he said, well, Mark, there hasn't really been one. Though Christianity's been here since the 4th and 5th century, it hasn't ever peaked the way it did in France or Germany or uh, England or America. It's never peaked in Ireland. It's never got above ground floor level. And we could get discouraged by that. We could say, oh, nothing will ever change. But Nehemiah could have said that. And so here's a challenge. First of all, a challenge to daring faith, then an encouragement to daring faith. A challenge to daring faith, and there's three things to, to see here. Daring faith steps outside your comfort zone. Daring faith steps outside our comfort zones. Nehemiah's praying. He's been praying for four months. Um, it seems that he's been waiting for the right moment. It's March or April, 444 B.C., and he's before the king. Now, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. That means, essentially, that he's the king's security advisor. Uh, he was trusted, but he was also the one who was likely to die first if there was any attempt against the king and to poison him. Nehemiah would drink the wine or taste the food, and he would die. Or he was also likely to die if the king... Uh, you know, just took a took it thick with him, or took offence at him. The king was likely to. Um, thank you. The king was was likely to take out his wrath on 
his cupbearer. We see that in the book of Genesis with Pharaoh and his cupbearer. And one of the things he didn't do was appear before the king sad because the king was meant to be the provider of happiness. And if you appeared before the king sad as one of his servants, you were, it was a bad reflection on his, his role as king. So Nehemiah appears before the king sad. We don't know if it's deliberate or not. It may well have been. That's a big risk. He's stepping outside his comfort zone here. and He's, he's, he's going to be asking something huge from the king. And you know, whenever the king says to him um, in chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 2, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Things get worse because that phrase could be translated, This can be nothing but a bad heart or an evil heart. So... Um, any wonder it then says Nehemiah was very much afraid. He's really far outside his comfort zone here. This is, this is walking on a knife edge. This is walking a tightrope. And then he says, well, the city of my father's lies in ruins. Well, he doesn't name the city. He doesn't name the city because this king, Artaxerxes, already said, stop the building of this city. Jerusalem had a name for being rebellious. In fact, rebuilding cities at all was a dangerous request because people tended to gather in cities to, to plot against the government and to rebel. Uh, and so the rebuilding of conquered cities was a, a dangerous request. And this king has said, stop in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is coming and he's saying, I'm sad because there's a city that lies in ruins. He's, he's not just out of his comfort zone. He's in sort of the, the threat to your life zone. And uh, yet, he's not rash. He's wise. He shows respect to the king in how he speaks to him. Uh, he seems to wait for a moment when the queen is present, as if maybe the king will be maybe treat him more favorably. Um, he makes his request, verse 5, in such a way that it gives the king control over the whole thing. If it pleases the king, let him send me to the city uh, where my father's right. You know, he's asking the king uh, to, to let this happen. And so there's, there's wisdom in how he's asking. But his faith isn't timid. He's outside his comfort zone. And I think... The image that I have on my mind here, to try and get the balance of what we're talking about in a challenge to daring faith, it's about walking into deeper water. It's not about running and jumping off the end of a pier if you can't swim. It's about walking into deeper water. Nehemiah isn't unwise and foolish. In a, you know, he's, he's, he's outside his comfort zone. He's doing something risky but he's not being rash about it. So the challenge to daring faith isn't to go out and, and stand on a street corner necessarily and roar with a megaphone the gospel at people or to grab some member of your family who's not a Christian and to just really shake them up verbally or physically and say, you need to repent. And you can say to yourself, well, I've been more daring. Well, no, that's, that's not what it's about. Remember, Nehemiah prayed for four months, but then... 
When the opportunity came, even though it was risky, even though uh, it was well outside his comfort zone, he took the opportunity. That's really what we're thinking about. Daring faith takes the opportunity. And that's what we need to do. When, and I, this, is, this is what has challenged me, when have I last gone out on a limb? When have I last said to myself, well, this, this, I've been praying about it and now's the opportunity, but this could really blow up in my face. Um, when did I last feel exposed? That's where, and you know, and I think there, there's a measure of that last night is, uh, particularly Martin and Mary had invited folk to come along and they were, they were putting on uh, the, the, the musical performance, there's that risk that nobody will come. You know, and we'll, we'll look daft, you know, to, to anybody that did come. Um, there's a risk there. That's uh, taking a step towards the deep end. Professor Donnelly, uh, preaching on this, said, lost sheep don't wander into sheepfolds. The shepherd had to go out and get them. And he had to go out, and maybe the dark night, into the storm, into the, the wind, into the rain. He had to climb down a cliff face. He had to do these things. He, it took him to be outside his comfort zone. And we as a congregation, as we're seeking to, uh, to live for Christ here, we need to be outside our comfort zone as individuals and as a congregation. And there's something about that in the building of a new building. It's new. It's, there's people wondering, why on earth would you do that? You're a small congregation. Why do that? But we believe by, by faith and how God has provided thus far that it's not rash, but it's wise. That's daring. That's bold. It's courageous. And that's great. And so responding and fitting in with that, we need to be asking ourselves, what more can we be doing as individuals to, to take another step towards the, the deep end, as it were? Taking another step um, out of our comfort zones. And Nehemiah has been a big challenge to me uh, and that I've been too comfortable. Um, and the world isn't reached by comfortable people. Uh, and what really shook me up uh, a couple of weeks ago, a man who was on my prayer list died very suddenly. Dropped dead at the age of 39. And I've been praying that we get a chance to speak to him. And I had a chance to speak to him. And I was thinking that the next thing I want to do, you know, is, is we'll have him around for a meal. And hopefully we'll get talking more. Gone. God's sovereign, all of that's true, but and I've got to trust God's sovereignty with it. But it just shook me up. I thought, well, if you'd stepped out of your comfort zone a bit more, um, maybe you would have had more of an opportunity to share the gospel with him. Daring faith calls us to step outside our comfort zone. Two more things about daring faith. Um, daring faith gives itself to a great task. It gives itself to a great task. Someone's going to have to go to Jerusalem. Somebody's going to have to gather the people together and motivate them. 
And Nehemiah doesn't simply pray. He gives himself to this great task. Verse 5, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Jerusalem where my fathers are, sorry, the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah longs for God's honor and he's willing for his whole life to change and to travel a thousand miles and to engage in hard labor and give years of his life because God isn't a hobby for him. God's glory isn't a hobby. And Jesus isn't a hobby for us. We weren't a hobby for Jesus. And it would be easy to lose sight of the greatness of the task, not the bigness. We can see the bigness, and the bigness can frighten us, but the, the grandeur of the task. And we could be weary, and we could be dispirited, but let's see how great the task is. I mean, how gloriously magnificent it is. A couple of weeks ago, there was a review of all our church planting works. It was a Saturday conference, and one of the best bits of the whole thing was seeing the excitement of the Reverend Knox Heinemann, man who's retired, who's in, involved in the church planting work, the Woodstock Road in Belfast, and a retired minister. And he said, this is just the most wonderful thing that I've done in my life. This is, this is just, it's so exciting. And just to see his enthusiasm for it, he hadn't lost sight of the, the wonder of what he was allowed to be involved in. And I think one of, the, one of the things that helps us grasp the wonder and the, the, the glory of the task that we're involved in is reading not just our Bibles, but reading the history of what God does, Christian biography, missionary biography. Read those books and enjoy them and let them enthuse you. There's nothing greater that we could be doing than giving ourselves uh, to the kingdom of Christ in this way. There's no greater honor that we could have than to be engaged in this. And as we uh, seek uh, to go forward in Milford with this new building, we need to ask ourselves, what, what are we going to do? What role are we going to play in this great task that God has for us? Daring faith gives itself to this great task there's another missionary, a man that few people have ever heard of, called Griffith John. He was a, a companion of Hudson Taylor's, and I came across this uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was working on the sermon. Uh, it says here, Griffith John exercised a remarkable pioneer ministry for 50 years in China, and his desire to reach the unreached remained with him throughout his life. He returned to Britain in 1911 and left behind him many churches with a combined membership of over 100,000 Christians. It's just great. What a great task. Imagine the people that are going to be greeting Griffith and John in heaven. People here don't know anything about him. You know, Christians haven't heard of him. I'd never heard of him. But he was involved in this great task. And there are 100,000 people going to be in heaven because of his witness. And dear knows how many more down through the generations. What an exciting thought. What an exciting thought for us as we give ourselves to the work here in Milford. 
you know, the people around us mightn't have our name mightn't be known outside of Donegal, but for all eternity, it will have a significance and an impact with people. We find out about Christ because we gave ourselves to this great task. Daring faith gives itself to a great task. And thirdly, daring faith expects God to respond. Daring faith expects God to respond. And Nehemiah has been praying and he's been thinking about what is needed. He says, well, I'm going to need to go. Somebody needs to go. I could go. And if somebody's going, they're going to need this. They're going to need a travel pass because it's illegal to travel on the king's highways without a permit. They're going to need timber, but you can't get it because the king owns the forest. So we need a permit for the timber, for the walls. I need letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates to tell them that this is okay. He's it all thought out. He's expecting God to answer. And he asks, and he's got some neck on him. You know, he, he's one of the king's most trusted advisors, and he says, can I have leave of absence for a whole lot of time? Uh-huh. And what else would you like? Well, could I have a travel pass to go to the city that rebelled against you? Um, and can I have permission to rebuild it? And can I have, can I have the timber to rebuild it? Um, and I just love the little bit he throws in in chapter 2 and uh, verse 8. Um, can I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. <laughs> and while you're at it, can you build me a house? You know, it's just... Well, he's going to need somewhere to live. But he expects God to work in the life of the king. It's not just that he expects the king to do this. I wonder, did Nehemiah know the verse in Proverbs 21? The, the, in the Lord's hand, the heart of the king is like a stream of water that he directs as he pleases. The king's heart is in the Lord's hand. It's like a stream of water that that he directs as he pleases. Nehemiah expects God to do something. He's praying and expecting God uh, to act. He's got huge plans, and he asks huge requests. And as Johnny reminded us a couple of weeks ago uh, at our evening service, what William Carey, a missionary to India, said, um, expect great things of God, and attempt great things for God. That's what Nehemiah is expecting, and he's attempting. Daring faith expects. And do we have that faith that expects? We could be so crushed by disappointment. We've prayed and prayed and prayed for family, for our community, for friends. Little has happened. And we could move into safe mode where we we don't really expect anything anymore so that we don't have our hopes uh, broken. We don't feel let down. No, don't do that. Don't go into safe mode. Stay asking and expecting. James says you do not have because you do not ask. Nehemiah asked, expected. Time passed, but God heard and answered his prayer. And what is daring faith? What might it look like for us? Well, it means that we live for Christ at home and at work and 
in college and out in the community. We do all that that we always do, but we're looking to take a step towards the deep end a bit more. We're looking and we're praying for opportunities that God will give to us where we will do something or say something that the world will think, that's, that's crazy. The world will think that building a new church, building in Milford's crazy. Excellent. That shows that we believe God isn't dead or finished with Milford yet. That'll say something to our community. Wonderful. Sometimes it's by speaking to people. Sometimes it's by doing, by being a Christian and behaving and following God's laws. And they think, why do you live that way? You're missing out on so much. No, no, this is what God has said. Why not work on the Sabbath day? God has said. And why turn down a job? Well, because I would have to work on a Sunday. Why turn down another job? Well, because it's going to take me away from uh, a church where I could be well fed in, from God's Word. That's mad, people would say. But it's, it's putting God first. It's, it's having faith that putting Him first will be rewarded. It's expecting God to honor. What, what are we expecting God to do? What are we asking God for? What great requests are we making? As we plan and look towards building this new building, we've been praying, we've been hoping. Isn't it just like Nehemiah? God has been responding and doing more than we could ask or imagine. We've been praying that God would, would build our congregation, and he's saying, well, I'm going to give you a new building for what I'm doing. You're not going to be in an old building any longer. You know, it's, it's so like what's happening here in Nehemiah in some ways. Things are being provided. Let that spur us on to, to daring faith. That's the challenge of daring faith, and I've got excited and I've started to give you the encouragement to daring faith. And just as we finish, that's where we want to finish up, the encouragement to daring faith. The encouragement to daring faith. And the encouragement is simply this. Look at this. And isn't our God able to do more than you could ask or imagine? That's what Paul said in Ephesians 3 verse 20. This is God at work. It's not simply that the king is generous. Nehemiah recognizes that. Verse 8. Uh, the end of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. These kings impaled people on posts. If they didn't like you. They just took offense at you. They would impale you on a post. Um, skewered. Uh, but Nehemiah it's everything he asks, and more the king sends cavalry and army with him that he didn't even ask for. Um, because the gracious hand of his God was upon him. Here's our encouragement. God's arm is not shortened. God's supplies aren't limited. His desire for glory hasn't lessened. And as we come to 
to step more and more towards the deep end. Um, as we look to God to act, as we seek to step out of our comfort zones, we do it with the certainty that our God is gracious and His hand is upon us and He will supply what we need. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. In fact, you know, you might say, but he might, he's delaying, Mark. There's things that he hasn't done that I've been asking him to do, and there could be all sorts of reasons for that. But might it be that there may be reasons that, it, that the time's not right, and he's waiting to do something even bigger than we've asked, but it might it be that we don't actually expect him to do it? Might it be that we're not prepared to let it cost us? We're not prepared to step a little bit out of our depth, to leave ourselves looking a little exposed. But our God delights in faith that steps out of its comfort zone. He delights in it because His Son stepped out of His comfort zone to save us. And there's why not just the challenge is bigger, but the encouragement is bigger. The encouragement is greater. Jerusalem was only the place where the temple was. It was a picture of God dwelling with, with his people. And Nehemiah said, I want it rebuilt to bring honor to God. The church is what God the Son gave his life for. And as we seek to give ourselves in faith to serving our Savior, God the Father will not let that service go to waste. He loves to see his children trust him and to expect things of him. And it may take time. I was going to say it will take time. I can't say that. It may take time. But our God will work. Here's our encouragement to daring faith. We have a God who works through his people. So I rebuke and I encourage myself. And I ask myself, how can I be more daring? That's not really daring, is it? Not when God has all the resources and he controls absolutely everything. It's not really daring. It's the most sensible thing that we could do. But Satan tells us, oh no, you'll look odd and it'll blow up in your face and you'll look silly. But Nehemiah says to us, not a bit of it. Hudson Taylor says to us, not at all. It's worth it. But whenever we have a God like this, here's our encouragement uh, to, to live for him and serve him. So ask God to show you what you can do. That's where we go from here. Let's ask God to show us what he wants us to do with our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are most kind to allow us anywhere near this great project of your sons. Thank you that you give us a role and a part to play in it. And Lord, help us to realize the privilege and help us to have the courage to step out more and more in faith realizing that you control the future, uh, realizing that you love us and you delight in your Son. And Lord, why wouldn't we? Forgive us for our timidity. Forgive us for 
the times when we've been silent, when we should have spoken. But give us wisdom, Lord. Give us guidance. And Father, as we look with excitement to the future and to, to what you're doing here, uh, we, we thank you for how you're providing, as you did for Nehemiah. And Lord, we look with anticipation and we look with expectation. Uh, and as Nehemiah found things small and at a low ebb whenever you started to do something exciting, in some ways we look at things and we're small and, and at a lower ebb than perhaps at, at other times in our history, and yet we're excited because of what you've been bringing and what you've been giving to us. And we look with expectation that you will not just give us material provisions, not just encourage us spiritually, but that you will add to your people here. We come expectantly. And Lord, refresh our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.